At this time, I would ask you to turn with me, either in your own Bible or one of the Pew Bibles, to the book of Acts, chapter 20. Acts, chapter 20. Today, we're going to be reading and considering verses 17 through the end of this chapter. As most or all of you will know, the book of Acts is a history book, the only history book in the New Testament. It tells the the history of the early church. What happened after Jesus ascended into heaven? And it tells that story uh, up to chapter 28 where we read of the Apostle Paul remaining imprisoned in Rome and still continuing to boldly proclaim the truth of the Gospel. Um, The second half of the book of Acts focuses on Paul. And this is one of those passages. In context, you may remember Paul went on three missionary journeys. This is toward the end of the third missionary journey. He's on his way to Jerusalem where ultimately he's going to be arrested and later taken as a prisoner to Rome. But at this point, he's meeting with some dear friends, fellow ministers of the gospel, elders from the church at Ephesus. He had founded that church on this third missionary journey, spent three years there planting that church. And now he's speaking to them, anticipating that he will never see them again. It's a kind of farewell address. With that in mind, hear now God's Word from Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 17. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now from Miletus, he, that is Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Here ends the reading of God's word for this day. Let us pray. Dear Father, these words we have just read are your word. They are true. They are powerful. They are relevant. Father, speak into our lives with this word. Open our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to obey this, your word. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. This speech that Paul gives here is given at a significant turning point in his career. If you were here in Sunday school, you heard that I am at a significant turning point in my career, having been a pastor for nine and a half years, a Bible teacher for eight years. I'm now transitioning into the Navy as a chaplain. Big changes. So this passage caught my attention. Because here is Paul, a minister of the gospel, at a point when God is calling him in a new direction. And I want to know, what what kinds of things is Paul thinking and saying and doing at that point of transition? Uh, You may not be in a point of significant transition in your life, but life is full of change, isn't it? This passage is preeminently about Christian ministry. Paul says a lot about his own ministry, both past and future. He also speaks secondarily about the ministry of these elders from the church at Ephesus. And because Paul focuses on ministry, both his own and that of these elders, that's going to be our focus this morning as well. We're going to focus on ministry. But since none of us are apostles, and since only a handful of you are elders... We're going to focus on our ministry individually as Christians, whatever that ministry may be. And the key focus, my goal this morning, is to challenge you to share the same priority that Paul attests to in this speech. He states that priority in verse 24. Look again at that verse. Paul says, 
I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. Now he's saying that right on the heels of saying, I know I'm going to be arrested and face afflictions in Jerusalem. He's basically saying, that doesn't matter. I don't care what happens to me. Continuing in verse 24, why does he count his life? Why does he not account of his any value? Not because he has low self-esteem, but because he has a high priority. If only this one thing can be true, nothing else matters. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. What is that ministry? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now that was Paul's ministry. But hear what he's saying. Nothing matters to me at all except that I would faithfully do what God has called me to do. I want to challenge you to share that priority. As we look at that and consider that challenge, we're going to notice, first of all, the motivation for our ministry. We're going to consider, secondly, the execution of our ministry. That is, how do we go about actually doing it? What does that look like? And and thirdly, the hope of our ministry. Are we just wasting our time or is this really going somewhere? Let's consider first the motivation for our ministry. Why did Paul preach the gospel? Why did these elders serve the church? Paul reminds us of the motivation for our ministry. Notice in verse 28, it's, it's a passing comment, but a powerful comment. In verse 28, he's telling these elders, you need to take care of the flock. You need to care for the church of God. And then he describes the church of God in this way, which he obtained with his own blood. Jesus bought us by His death on the cross. We belong to Him. We are not free agents in the absolute sense of that word. We are bound to obey Him because He bought us with His blood. We are grateful that He bought us with His blood because the alternative was eternity in hell, right? So we are very grateful for that. And that motivates our ministry. That's why Paul was in the gospel ministry. Because Jesus saved him. And how did Jesus save him? Through the ministry of the Word and Spirit. Yes, that's Paul's ministry, but that's also how he got into this. And it's how the Ephesian elders got into it. Paul reminds them, hey, when I came to Ephesus, my ministry was first and foremost a ministry of the Word, of the Gospel. He talks about it all over this passage. But you'll notice he summarizes it in verse 21, saying that he testified to both Jews and Greeks that this was necessary. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith. Shorter Catechism asks, what does God require of us to escape His wrath which we justly deserve for our sins? He requires of us faith and repentance. That's it. 
And that's the message that Paul brought them. You must repent of your sins. You must turn to God in faith, trusting in Jesus' sacrificial death on your behalf that that is the one and only thing that is sufficient to make you right with God. And these elders heard that message, believed that message, they repented and believed in Christ. And as they are reminded by Paul of that spiritual birth that they experienced through the work of God's Spirit and the proclamation of His Word, they are reminded of the motivation for their ministry and our motivation for our ministry. It's because God has loved us and saved us and set us apart for Himself. That's why we serve Christ and one another. It's not for personal glory. It's not for a pat on the back. It's because of something that happened a long time ago, the death of Christ on the cross, and something that happened maybe a short while, maybe a long while ago in our lives, as God drew us and called us to Himself effectively. He redeemed our lives. Therefore, we give our lives gladly and freely in the service of His kingdom. It's our motivation. But there's a further motivation. And it's because not only did Jesus buy buy us by His blood, not only did God save us through the gospel, but He also gave us a job to do. He commissioned us. Now, Paul knew that he had a commission. He speaks of his desire to finish his course. Like, okay, there's this specific path that God has laid out for me, and I need to continue on that path until I reach the end of that path. And he says, and to, to do the ministry that Jesus gave me to do. You see, he knows that Jesus specifically gave Paul a specific ministry to do. Now, if you want to read about it, go back to chapter 9 and you can read about right after Paul was saved and converted on the road to Damascus. Uh, Ananias is going to pray for him and God tells Ananias, you know, here's a guy who's going to take my gospel to all kinds of people all over the place and he's going to suffer for my name. Paul had a commission from right after the time that he was saved. But he's not the only one commissioned. These elders from Ephesus, they were commissioned as well. And Paul makes reference to that. You see, notice in verse 28, here's what they are to do. Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock. And then he says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. They didn't volunteer for this out of a vacuum, right? They didn't come up with this idea themselves. They didn't hire themselves for this job. The Holy Spirit made them overseers. You say, well, didn't the congregation elect them in the PCA context? Yes, the congregation elects, but God works in the heart and minds of the members of the congregation So if there is a man who's become an elder in the church, it's because God called him to that. And He commissioned him to that work. You say, wow, I'm glad I'm not an elder. I don't have to worry about that job. I agree. It's a hard job. Pray for your elders. 
but you've got a job too. Assuming, of course, that you are a Christian. If you're a Christian, as my pastor said, he didn't save you to sit and soak, but to serve. You've got a job to do. So, well, what do you mean, preacher? Well, I mean simply this. Yeah, Paul had a specific commission, and God gifted him and called him to that work. These elders at Ephesus and the elders here at Biloxi, you've got a job to do, and you've been commissioned by God and gifted to fulfill that. But when we start thinking about service, the Scripture makes it clear that service is a direct outgrowth of gifting, and gifting is not something reserved for apostles and pastors only. It's something that God gives to every single one of His people. Paul himself says it in Romans. He talks about you know how we all have different gifts and we are to use them to serve one another, etc. Peter says it, having gifts that differ, let us use them to serve one another. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, says Peter. Each one, if you're a Christian, whoever you are, each and every Christian in this room has received at least one spiritual gift. And that gift constitutes the call to use it in the ministry of God's kingdom, in service to others. It may be a a quiet gift like helps or hospitality. It may be a gift that's very evident outwardly to other people, a, a, a gift of musical talent or of teaching or leading. I don't know what the gift is, but you've got a gift and you need to use it. You've been commissioned. So the motivation for our ministry goes all the way back to the cross where Jesus bought us. It looks back in in our lives to the time when God saved us and we repented and turned in faith to Christ. But it also looks back at the reality that God has gifted us and that gift constitutes a commission to do ministry. And that's why we do it. So how do we do it? What about the execution of our ministry? How does it actually play out? Well, I want you to notice one of the, one of the most prominent things Paul says about his ministry is that his ministry and our ministry requires integrity, character. It's the first thing he says and the last thing he says in here. Notice how he begins in verse 18. You yourselves know how I lived among you. He doesn't first say, you know what I told you. No, that's not where he begins. He says, you know how I lived. And if that's not enough, you look at the end and he he goes into a lot more detail in verses 33 and following, how he did not covet other people's possessions, how he worked with his own hands. He was bivocational. He wasn't just a preacher, but he was a tent maker, literally. He made tents with his hands and sold them and repaired them in order not to be a burden. Because he knew, as Jesus taught, it's better to give than to receive. Paul is able to point to 
his character, his life, his behavior, and say, you know how I lived. He also tells these elders that that's their number one priority. You might think, no, their number one priority is taking care of the flock, right? I mean, they need to look out for the members of the congregation. But wait a minute. Look again at verse 28. What's the first thing he says? Pay careful attention to who? Yourselves. Yourselves. An elder who is great at visiting and praying for the members of the congregation, but does not tend to his own soul, is doing both himself and the church harm. We must first of all live with integrity as followers of Christ or our ministry will prove to be ineffective. So in the execution of our ministry, the first thing we need to focus on is life behavior, character. We need to pray and pursue the development of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives before we seek the fruit of our ministry in the lives of other people. Second thing that Paul notes here is not just integrity, but responsibility. Responsibility, that is, who are we accountable to? It's clear that Paul sees himself not firstly accountable to these elders nor the members of the church, but first and foremost accountable to God. He speaks in verse 19 of how when he was in Ephesus, he was serving the Lord. He's our boss. We are responsible. We are accountable to him in the execution of our ministry. Secondly, though, we are accountable to each other. We, we are responsible for each other. When Cain was questioned by God, you remember what he said? Am I my brother's keeper? You know the right answer to that? Yes, you are. Today, as you sit in these pews, you think of somebody in this congregation who has a need. You say, well, I don't need to worry about that. That's the pastor's job. That's the elder's job. No, it's your job. We are responsible for one another. Now, I know this passage doesn't say that. I'm going beyond the teaching of this passage and saying that. He's talking to elders and obviously they are to care for the flock. They have the the higher responsibility for that. But if you read the rest of Paul's letters, if you read the New Testament, try this as an exercise this afternoon or this week. Find a concordance or go to BibleGateway.com and, and type in the phrase, one another, and 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 see where that appears in Scripture. You'll find at least 25 different one another commands. Love one another. Serve one another. Pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. Have fellowship with one another. On and on it goes. At least 25 different one another commands. Are we responsible for one another? Yes, we are. So we serve one another using our gifts. 
And it requires also that we remain alert. You see Paul's warning in verse 31? Be alert! Why? Because there's opposition. Now, Paul says, as you pursue this ministry, do it, make it your priority, right? He says, the only thing that matters to me is that I finish my course, that I do that ministry that the Lord Jesus gave me to do. And that needs to be our priority. That's affirmed in many ways. When Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, there it is. When Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, there it is. Our number one priority is not personal comfort, not personal accolades, but the glory of Christ and the advancement of His kingdom. We serve Him and that's what matters most. So we've talked about the motivation of our ministry, the execution of our ministry. What about the expectation of our ministry? What can we expect? Is there hope of success? Well, absolutely. But that hope comes in a context of hostility. If you know anything about Paul, you know he was opposed greatly. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was falsely accused. He was run out of town repeatedly. But it's not just Paul. Look at what he said to these elders in verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Do you you hear that hostility, right? There are people out there who want to destroy this church, says Paul. You need to be aware of that. You need to know there is that kind of hostility against the cause of Christ. And we minister within that context. Wow, that's kind of scary. But it gets worse. It's all right if the enemy's out there and I can identify the enemy because they're wearing a different uniform and we know to attack them. But what if verse 30 is also true? And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul says, I kind of hate to tell you this, But you're going to have hostility and opposition even from those who call themselves brothers and sisters in Christ. There will be some from among you who oppose you, who distort the true gospel. There will be hostility outside and opposition inside as well. It's a tough job we've been given. A dangerous job in one sense. But don't despair, beloved. We have every reason to have a strong hope and confidence because of the role of the Holy Spirit and the sovereign, gracious work of God. You see, in verse 22, when Paul's talking about going to Jerusalem and being imprisoned and facing afflictions, he talks about his own involvement in that as being constrained by the Spirit. He was going to Jerusalem not because he likes getting beat up and thrown in prison, but because the Holy Spirit was leading, guiding, and empowering him to go to Jerusalem and face that. 
God is no respecter of persons. If you're a Christian here today, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. He is your counselor, your guide, your teacher. He will empower you to accomplish what God has called you to do. You can't do it on your own. And then notice what Paul says. He he talks about the hostility and and all the trouble that these elders are going to face trying to shepherd the church. But in verse 32, he's saying, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving you in good hands. In verse 32, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Do you hear it? I commend you to God. He alone can sustain us. He alone can grant us success in our labors. Jesus wasn't kidding when He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in Me, you're going to get a lot done. But apart from Me, you can do nothing. Abide in Him. Psalm 127 had it right when it said, Unless the Lord builds the house, they that build it labor in vain. But if you're depending on God in your Christian ministry, whatever that ministry looks like, if you commit that to the Lord and let Him produce the results, Leave the outcome to Him. It's going to be good, y'all. God does a good work and He uses crooked sticks like me and like you to accomplish it. It's amazing. Right? I mean, nobody's surprised if somebody enters a NASCAR race with the fastest car known to man and he wins the race. But you get out there in a jalopy and an old hoopty in in a piece of junk and that person wins the race, you go, wow! That's amazing. And God does that every day. He uses people like us to do the good work of His kingdom, to draw men and women to Himself, to build up the church, to advance the glory of Christ. That He could do that through me is a staggering thought. But He does it. Beloved, commit your way to the Lord. Rely upon the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit. Live lives of integrity. And make your service to Christ your number one priority. So that with Paul you can say, you know, I don't account my life of any value. My life is not precious to me except for this only, that I would finish my course. And the ministry that Jesus gave me to do. May all of us be faithful to that call for the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Almighty, gracious, sovereign God, we love You. We thank You for Your redemption. If there are any here who who are not yet called to this ministry because they've not yet received the gospel, we pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. That they would see the glory of Christ and their need for Him. Confess their sins and repent of them and turn to You in faith. But for those of us 
who have known Christ. Oh, we pray, Father, that You would strengthen us, renew our commitment to Christ, cause us to serve Him faithfully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.